You are listening to The Dish on Health IT, brought to you by Point of Care Partners, a leading health IT consultancy. Each episode will feature a rotating panel of senior consultants and guests who will talk about trends and innovations in health IT, while also highlighting how organizations can leverage these advances to solve their business problems. This episode, The Dish on Health IT welcomes guest Dr. Sue Chen, who is the Program Manager and Clinical Director of the Agile 7 Accelerator Codex and the Digital Health Clinical Principal with MITRE. We are also welcoming Michelle Galliato, who is the Deputy Program Manager of Codex and a Senior Consultant with Point of Care Partners. Hosts Pooja Babra and Jocelyn Keegan discuss the mission and scope of the Codex community and dive into real-world progress being made in advancing clinical specialty terminology data standards. The discussion also touches on how stakeholders across the healthcare ecosystem can get involved or pick up the work of Codex. We hope you find today's episode informative and helpful. If you have topic ideas you'd like us to cover in future episodes, be sure to share them with us by emailing us at podcast at POCP.com or tweeting us at POCPHIT. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Dish on Health IT, where we invite health IT leaders and trailblazers to break down and discuss some of health IT's biggest news and most exciting milestones. We at Point of Care Partners are health IT consultants who work with stakeholders across the healthcare ecosystem and are viewed as independent and objective trusted party. I'm Pooja Babra, Senior Consultant and Pharmacy and PBM Practice Lead here at Pointy Care Partners, and I'll be your host for this episode. My colleague and co-host, Jocelyn Keegan, is joining me today in welcoming Dr. Sue Chen, Program Manager and Clinical Director of Codex, and a Digital Health Clinical Principal with MITRE, and Michelle Galliato, DNP, RN, CNS, and Deputy Program Manager of Codex, and also a Senior Consultant with Pointy Care Partners. So as part of our effort of spotlighting interesting collaborative multi-stakeholder work, we'll be discussing the work of HL7 Fire Accelerator Codex, and our conversation will highlight the scope and mission of Codex and how the work impacts the industry, some major accomplishments, key use cases currently in the works, and the value the work brings to not only the industry, but to individual contributors. So before we jump into our discussion, I'd like to have Jocelyn briefly introduce herself and tell us what she's looking forward to learning from today's guest. Joss? Awesome. Super excited to be here today. Uh, Jocelyn Keegan, I'm our uh, senior consultant here at BOCP. I'm actually our payer practice lead um, and, uh, and really work sort of at that crossroads of workflows that affect payers, providers. Um, on topics like prior authorization. Uh, I run the DaVinci program, uh, which we'll talk about today uh, with the Codex team. I'm super excited to be here. Uh, Sue, Pooja, and uh, a number of us have been able to get to spend some time together over the last few months. Um, Sue and I were in HL7 last week talking about the progress, um, and I, I, I uh, am excited to share and to talk about how Codex is doing really great real-world work with the FIRE standard, but also building on some of the efforts in some of the other accelerators, um, and uh, glad to be here. Great. Thanks, Joss. So now I'd like to ask our guests to briefly introduce themselves. Sue, why don't you go first? Okay. Thanks, Pooja. But first, Michelle and I wanted to thank you guys for giving us this opportunity to talk about Codex. So thanks so much for having us. So I'm Sue Chen. I'm an emergency medicine doctor, a computer scientist. I've had experience as a systems leader in this space from the health system side, both as director of clinician IT, chief medical information officer, and at varied settings from a nationwide healthcare network to community clinic. I now work at MITRE. So MITRE, for folks who don't know, is a not-for-profit that runs federally funded research and development centers for the United States government. 
And in that capacity, we run the federally funded research and development center for CMS to modernize digital health. So that's in the capacity where all the work that MITRE does, we do it for the ultimate aim of driving the public good. And so I'm really excited to, in that capacity be, to be supported to be program manager and chair of the Codex Steering Committee. And really as a testament and commitment to MITRE's vision of Codex's end vision that better data means better health. Great. Fantastic. Thank you, Sue. Michelle, can you introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks, Pooja. So a slightly different background from Sue, but I think we complement each other. As you mentioned, I'm a doctorally prepared oncology clinical nurse specialist. And a typical ClinSpec brings in expertise from a variety of different roles, educator, clinical, research, things like that. My background really brings in a, a whole host of everything from clinical direct patient care to uh, staff education, conference, uh, really production, so educating the masses of, of oncology nurses across the globe, as well as guideline development and product development, really focusing on translating guidelines to the point of care. And I can talk a little bit more about that as we move on, but one of the my my final roles was really product development related to a symptom assessment tool. And that shed a lot of light about the struggles of making data work in healthcare and making guidelines work in healthcare. And I think Codex really kind of melds those worlds for me nicely. So a compliment to Sue, just slightly different. Great. Thank you, Michelle. Both of you are so accomplished. I love it. So, all right, let's jump in. So I'll venture that most of our listeners are at least somewhat familiar with the HL7 Fire Accelerator Program. And if not, we're going to link a description to it in uh, our podcast description. So why don't you start with telling us about the Codex Accelerator specifically? You know, how did Codex get started and what's the mission and focus? And Sue, I'll have you start. Sure. So Codex is an HL7 and Fire Accelerator, and as such, we are a not-for-profit, member-driven community. We're really singularly focused on advancing clinical terminology standards that can represent that true picture of complex health. We started in cancer and have now branched out to new growth areas in genomics and cardiovascular health. And so that sounds like a mouthful. So what does that really mean? And I think that's really helped by kind of telling our origin story. So Codex actually began, Codex is three years young, Michelle likes to say, but our story actually begins a little bit before that, around six or seven years ago. And around then, one of our champions and co-founders was this doctor, Dr. Monica Bertinoli. She was head of ASCO at the time, American Society of Clinical Oncology. She's now the director of NCI, National Cancer Institute. And her vision then was really that the data that we can capture for cancer patients in the electronic healthcare record is really important. And if we can get quality data from there, it can transform clinical cancer research, both by broadening the kind of folks who can participate in that research and benefit from it. And so what she would like to say is that these data standards that we promote through Codex, through these accelerators, if we can capture the granularity of complex diseases like cancer, genomics, et cetera, it should be similar to her picking up the phone, talking to another doctor about her cancer patient to better their needs and care across healthcare. So if we can take that data that she would represent and speak to the same level of representation of cancer needs and be able to then seamlessly share that for needs of research, for public health reporting, for prior authorization or payer value-based care needs, et cetera, then we can really truly not only learn, like care for patients better, but learn from that 
and then build the evidence and knowledge base and aggregate data at unprecedented scale to truly transform care for everyone. Right. Michelle, anything to add? It's a fabulous story and it's incredibly ambitious. And one of the things that really comes to light is standards are really only as good as those that are going to start to use them, adopt them, consistently implement them. And that's some of the beauty of Codex from my perspective. We provide the the field, if you will, in the community to really come together with common interests to tackle these real world clinical issues for complex disease and test it, scale it move it towards adoption and bringing this community together really is quite powerful. Yeah, I love that. We often talk on this podcast about, you know, building standards, but, you know, no point in building the standards if if no one's going to use it. So great point. All right. So my next question is actually related to the fact that both of you have amazing clinical backgrounds and many of our guests tend to be CEOs, CIOs, or more technical people, you know, that we have as guests. So I'm curious what brought you to work with Codex from the clinical side. Michelle, I'm going to have you start first this time. Thank you. So I actually started on the member side. So I'm in the program management office now, but I started as a member and I represented an oncology nursing member organization as a representative to Codex. And what drew me in uh, was a lot of that experience in that product development that I mentioned. So the symptom assessment tool really coming up against barriers with trying to get guidelines to really make sense and be uh, applicable at the point of care. And we started to build that tool using FHIR data standards. So that opened up a world of possibilities and started to connect with a few of the leaders across Codex from the member perspective and really pulled in some of the nursing perspective. One of the things that I talk about because it's incredibly real is the knowledge glut that occurs on the clinical side. It's really, really true, and it's a significant challenge. And what I mean by that is the pace of information, the pace of the science, really uh, even bringing to market new drugs, let alone new ways to um, treat in a non-pharmacologic way in that cancer space is just one instance of the knowledge glut that really is present in healthcare today. And if we can't find a way to keep pace and help the, the folks at the point of care really leverage the data and the science, then we will be behind. We won't benefit the patients. So when I pivot in to the uh, the program management side, I get to leverage all of the, the skills and, and knowledge uh, from former lives and former roles in this new world to really continue to make what I think is a tangible difference in the lives of patients today. And as Sue talks about that healthcare research aspect where you can impact lives in the future. So that was my pull in. I'd love to work with, you know, the more techie folks and make sure that we uh, stay somewhat grounded in the real world workflow. Love that. Great. Sue, curious on on how you ended up uh, with Codex and, and MITRE. I think I have a similar story to Michelle, and you can hear from what Michelle says why we feel so lucky to have her not only bring that experience from the member side into Codex, that real world perspective, but now driving Codex from management and leadership standpoint as well now. So for me, it's been excruciating. We are currently in the 21st century, right? It's modern day healthcare. We feel like we have all this technology and still, even as such, as an emergency medicine doctor, every single shift I've done, whether in urgent care clinic, whether in the emergency department itself, I've always seen at least one patient where I didn't have the right information to make a decision I felt like was needed. And that goes true for 
every single shift. And that was information that I knew existed, be it something as simple as having an accurate assessment of their current medications that they're on, an accurate list of their past medical history, et cetera, to make informed decision on critical care. And so when you have patients like this, all of us in healthcare, we all came in here to do the best for patients and feeling like there is information or data out there that can that you need to make a good decision, but that you can't access at a given time, that hurts, right? And then from a system side, I've seen this as in healthcare systems as we struggled, what be it from like the blood bank, tackling challenges in the lab for registration even, but pharmacy, et cetera, or cross clinical specialty needs. Medicine moves so fast, data is so siloed, folks don't have the data they need to do simple things at the right time. And so being able to just drive healthcare so we can do the right decisions at the right time in real time is critically important, just like Michelle said. Right. Yeah. So I want to uh, shift a little bit and just talk about the members. I, I love your story, Michelle, that, you know, you were originally a Codex member, right? And, and kind of now is in program management. But let's talk a little bit about the mix of the Codex members organization types and individual people, you know, you guys as clinicians were obviously drawn to this work. So I'm just wondering if that's also reflected in the, the member population and also what value do your members get out of participating in, uh, in Codex? So I can take a stab at that one first. Our members are, first of all, our members, just to give a shout out to them, are amazing. They are the secret sauce to really getting all the great strides that we've made in the Codex in the past year. And they're really varied in nature. In our membership, you'll see clinicians such as ourselves, specialty societies, uh, patient organizations, advocacy organizations, uh, regulatory bodies, research organizations, payers, regulators, life sciences, the list goes on. And what it really is, is the commitment from folks across industry really trying to make a difference in these areas of complex health. When we're dealing with cancer patients, especially where we started, it's how do we get research done in an appropriate, like in a more efficient manner so that that practice of getting bedside research learnings into bedside practice isn't the reported 17 years that folks like to quote, right? How do we get public health reporting for cancer patients down from what can be up to two years at times, like a time that span that in which some of those patients may pass away, right? Like we want to do better and faster. And so it's from these standpoints that we're able to draw critical folks, bringing in their real world pain points that they're feeling right now and motivated to work towards into these different areas of use case alignment. And it's by that process that we bring folks such as Michelle's organization previously, ONS, these other, these other agencies or organizations as well, so that we can drive our work start to finish soup to nuts in a real world fashion. Because as we just talked about earlier, it's not about just advancing standards. It's about driving end outcomes and improvements in patient care. And so by having these iterative approaches with everyone involved, we have the real world pain points, the real world requirements, the real world inputs, along with in-kind support to drive these use cases to be as robust as they need so that we can make a difference in the real world. And it's that that's the value that this is bringing to members. It's that by collaborating, they get broader landscape inputs broader know-how in the targeted areas that they're trying to reach in industry. And then by leveraging everyone's strengths to the core need, we are able to get success faster. 
Fantastic. Joss, I'm going to actually have you weigh in here um, really on the importance of having clinical perspectives represented in the work of accelerators or really any multi-stakeholder initiative. What are your thoughts? Well, sir, first I'm a total fangirl of the folks that we have on this this week for the for the podcast, because I think what you're hearing is that sort of pragmatic approach, right, to how do we take these tools that are out there in the industry and really think collectively about how we can solve the problems and what you're hearing from Sue and Michelle is the, the decision to say, I what is my highest, best purpose, right, of how I can solve these problems for the most people, right, by getting involved in projects like CODA. I think that what we're seeing with the accelerators is really that power of that multi-stakeholder community, right, to say, let's put our logos and our egos and our business profit at the door and agree to come together as this community to solve real world problems in a really pragmatic way of like, not at the 100,000 foot level, not at the 10,000 foot level, but really down on the ground. And I applaud actually Codex in particular, of really taking this sort of like demonstrate, exercise, show that it works sort of at scale approach to be able to get it done. And, and, and having the clinician at the table, the person who is actually directed Parent, you know, patient care, whether it's whether it's somebody from the nursing side, whether it's somebody from the, um, you know, the, the doc seat, or whether it's just provider team members, right? That seat at the table of the, the the people providing actual care is critically important, and equally so, having their counterparts that are on the other side of the workflows. Um, you know, I think that all of this work is use case driven at the end of the day. And the reason I think we're having success is that we're really focused on the business problems or the care challenges that we're seeing and we're figuring out how and where to apply the technology at its highest best purpose and unleash a tool like FIRE to solve specific domains. So I think that the, the, the approach that Codex is taking is really smart here in, in making sure not just that we have clinicians, but that we have really a, everybody represented so that, that whatever is being created is going to be usable and deployable as opposed to you know something developed maybe in a more ivory tower setting. So. Yeah, completely makes sense. All right, so I would love to hear about some of Codex's biggest accomplishments so far. Sue, can you share with us some of those accomplishments? Yeah, so I think the greatest accomplishments, especially just in the last six months or even nine months of this past year, have been one, a growing real world footprint of traction and adoption, and two, starting to have in our pilots and use cases, outcomes that we can point to of real success. And so for the pilots and outcomes, we have about 10 use cases right now that span the breadth of patient care, patient care coordination, public health research, care processes, et cetera. And in those, some of our um, older use cases have now progressed to the point that we are starting to be live and in prospective patient settings. And so that's been really exciting to see. And so now we are in the process of being at multiple cancer sites for research, capturing real-world data endpoints directly in the process of routine patient care as part of active NCCN clinical trials. So that's really exciting to see that being tested out live, and we're excited to see what results come of that later this year. The second thing is that we're starting to see, we're about to go into perspective phase for our trial matching use case really looking at what happens with standards and you apply it into the setting in a use case championed by American Cancer Society Cancer and Action Network 
at trying to improve the enrollment of patients at clinical trials, because right now, usually you can only get access to trials where you either have a connection or if that trial happens to be at the site that you're seen at. But with standards, you can now share data seamlessly across wider settings, right? So you may be able to access clinical trials beyond just your immediate network. And so with early feasibility studies done at where we're launching, we're looking to launch at UT University of Texas Southwestern as well as West Virginia. Some of the data is suggesting that we can increase trial enrollment rates by as much as three or eightfold, depending on cancer site. So that's super exciting. And then it's success stories like this, as well as our motivated community, really telling the vendors and industry at large, we need this. This is something that is really struggling and painful for us. Please come in and do this. It is something that will help us that is needed for these poor business poor business cases that is starting to create a bigger footprint. And we're seeing that with adoption of our candor standards into the largest EHR platform in the United States in acute settings. And we're also adopted for our radiation oncology standards in the three major vendors, really supporting greater than 80% of radiation oncology treatment sites across North America for either being live or in production release. So this is real. It's going to be seen in our near palpable future. And the last thing I'll say is it's not just domestically, it's starting to be internationally. And it's not just through Codex, which is really exciting. And I think you can see this in all accelerators, that there's starting to be increased external independent adoption as well. So it's because the more folks that buy into this, whether directly through accelerators out of it, is really a success and a win for this community at large. And so in Germany, there's live genomics data sharing through standards by multiple health systems and live and genomics labs. So that's really exciting. And the last thing that is a demonstration of what these standards can do is that Oncoclinica is the largest cancer network in Brazil, adopted MCODE for routine use in patient care. And in doing so, they could aggregate their cancer clinical patient data in ways they could never do before. And they published outcome results in an abstract earlier this year, showing similar outcomes from those aggregated reports for metastatic breast cancer patients as to what has been published previously in literature. So that's some of these great wins that we're really excited to see and hear. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, Michelle, anything to add to that? Yeah, I'll pick up on a couple of things that Sue and Jocelyn have both said earlier. So the pragmatic approach and that kind of pick your pick the phone up and have that conversation in that data capacity. One of my early favorite use cases was the radiation therapy treatment data use case. And their initial intent was to pull together a treatment summary for patients undergoing radiation therapy for cancer. And while it feels like that probably should be something that is the norm, yes, there's a treatment summary. It's not something that is often easily shared. So in that pick the phone up approach, radiation therapy is often segmented both in EHRs as well as often physically. So understanding the treatment that a patient has received and implications of that treatment, whether they're doing combined modality with radi with chemotherapy or hormonal therapy, whatever the case might be, let alone down the line for uh, potential adverse events. So that team really spun up their work quite quickly. They were able to demonstrate, test, and validate their work in two different EMRs with several different patient scenarios. And when you realize where we were two years ago, and the fact that we can say that, let alone the trial matching information that Sue spoke about, it's amazing. That team has now spun off to say, well, let's talk about the beginning of that therapy. 
And when you look at uh, treatment planning for radiation oncology, you're looking at the physics plus the clinical aspect. So this use case team alone really demonstrates the power of the member community. With the physician consortiums and member organizations, the health IT groups, the EMRs, the payers that come to the table to look at the solution entirely. They're also branching out into another use case, uh, really leveraging their work and pulling together another use case team that's looking at quality measures. And if you've ever been part of authoring a quality measure for value-based care, it's an incredibly expensive fairly fraught with peril process that can take multiple years. And what this group is doing is showing the power behind authoring these measures using standardized data in a fire-based application to really move this towards appropriate exchange of data for a better collection, appropriate collection of the numerator and denominator, which should reduce the manual effort, the true inclusion of the right patients to really yield a better story about how quality can really improve and how we can learn from that in the future. And those are just two examples. Uh, I think Sue and I could probably brag about all of the use cases, but it's quite pragmatic and we're seeing that exchange really for the benefits of the patient. I just wanted to share a quote from that same community that Michelle just highlighted, because I think it shows the perspective of what accelerators can do in really promoting these needs. So that radiation community that Michelle spoke to, they like to say that their story is a love letter to Codex, <laughs> just to be honest with you. But that initial work of wanting to do an end-to-end process terminology spec development, that was what they thought would be a five-year project. Mm. And then in Codex, we were able to do it with the work and the collaboration of communities, not only in less than two, but two with buy-in for vendors. And two, in, in those same two years, buy-in that it was able to then leverage into other initiatives they needed, right, into that prior auth use case, into that quality measures use case that Michelle said. So it's by leveraging the community voice and collaboration here, we really are making the dream happen and doing in a way where we're able to get the future to happen now rather than these interoperability challenges that have been so longstanding that we've all heard about and not be able to make progress towards previously. Yeah, go ahead, John. I was gonna say, I just, I wanna, I wanna pull on a thread that's really important because we do these podcasts you know, sort of month after month, and we have all different folks that come and we talk about how and why and what the challenges are around interoperability. I think the thread that's going through the conversation that Michelle and Sue are having right now, that is so incredibly powerful, and I think really gets at the heart, I think, of what makes Codex, I think, so special, is this idea that they're doing this, right? This work is happening because there's they're addressing real-world problems that can be solved, and the investment in M-Code by MITRE and the community to create sort of really the the right pool, not complete yet, but growing pool of cancer and cancer terminology, right, within the FIRE community. And getting, I don't think, I don't think Sue put too big a note on this, getting, you know, the big EHRs to implement M-code without a reg in place, without a requirement to have to do it, right? Because their clients, the people paying them said, we want you to do this, right? The cancer centers themselves said, vendor, do this work for us. Vendor, come to this work. is so incredibly powerful in the sense that literally there is no mandate. There is no carrot. There is no stick. People are doing this work because we're actually getting patients the care they need faster. We're cutting out waste. We're getting that reusability of that information, that promise, right, of moving to APIs and fire. And it's making things better than they are today. 
And that to me is like, you do the, you know, you do the pull the spine out of everything Michelle and Sue just said and why it works. It's because it literally is making the life better for the docs, for the patients, for the people that are caring for these patients. And, and that is the sweet spot of what we get to do, right? With these, with this work and the accelerators. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. So hats off. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, just having that clinical involvement makes such a difference. And the other thread I wanted to pull on was the quality measures. Because I know there's a lot of uh, talk around that in um, like the long-term post-acute care space right now, right? How can you use fire? So to kind of use, right, this as an example, I think it's another opportunity, right, for, for folks that are trying to do some of this work to look and see what Codex has been doing and what they've been successful at and how you can use fire to do some of that. So I, I was so impressed. I love it. So I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, You guys talked about all the great things that you've accomplished, but let's talk about what's happening now. Um, Any specific use cases you guys want to talk about and things that are ramping up? And uh, Michelle, let's start with you this time. So probably one of the the use cases to highlight is the prior authorization in oncology work. Prior authorization certainly is getting quite a bit of press with some changes that likely are coming through regulations. But to put that practical side to it, if you've ever needed a test, if you've had a family member undergoing care or needing to begin treatment, there are several steps that need to occur from the time a prescription is proposed, let alone written, to when it is actually fulfilled, whether it's medication, diagnostic testing, et cetera. And there are several players in that mix. Uh, So this particular use case brings together a collection of interested parties, uh, EHR vendor, health IT groups that are really helping to to be the, the intermediaries to make things work, and certainly payers. And in that prior authorization use case, they are really making great strides. And I will give a a significant nod to the DaVinci community because they're leveraging work that DaVinci has done through their burden reduction work. Uh, So the team really can leverage implementation guides from DaVinci to further their work. And they're close to the point of pulling together their final pilot plans They're working with a large clinical system that is primarily ambulatory-based and then looking for other opportunities. Their initial focus is in uh, radiation oncology so that they, again, can leverage earlier work and really get proof of concept in synthetic data, uh, a bit more uh, speed to market, if you will, and uh, then move into real-world patient uh, data exchange. But it's incredibly exciting. And when you realize the the burden that could be significantly reduced across that healthcare team to benefit the patient, uh, it really, as Jocelyn said, cuts out waste and, and really gets appropriate care there sooner. So that's one that I love to highlight. Yeah, and and you guys know, right? In the Rens use case too, we're, we're actually uh, utilizing that some of the Da Vinci work. So, Joss, yep. I'm going to see if you want to add anything to this because it is right. I mean, even though it's a totally different accelerator, you know, leveraging some of that work. Yeah. So, would be curious your thoughts. I think it's really important that we talk about sort of these building block components to how we're approaching sort of moving people to APIs, right? Because you know what you hear Michelle talking about, and I think that what we all get to see in our day-to-day world, I think similar to the REMS use case that you're referring to, is this ability to create sort of parity of information between a provider team and the patient and their payer, right? You know, intrinsically, what is covered and paid for by our insurance drives often what our care is, right? And, And being able to do that in real time with the patient or ahead of the patient 
being with you, I think is incredibly important, right? How do we make that data available in workflow? Oncology is incredibly complicated. You know, I, I've spent a lot of years working on the pharmacy side of retail pharmacy prior authorization. And so the Onco is this like, we'll get to it someday. It's complicated, right? Like if it was a Facebook status. And I think what's important here is that what we're able to do by having this community that is focused on oncology is to really peel apart what makes it different, right? That bundle aspect of a, you know, sort of a, a it's not just a med, it's, you know, a bundle of services and medication that becomes part of somebody's, you know, treatment regime that they're going to get. And that there's other vendors involved beyond the EHR, sort of in that decision-making and, and, you know, Pooja, you and, you and I know from our day-to-day -day work on the strategy side, you know, the amount of sort of carve-outs and complexity of how payers are even administering subject areas like oncology are changing, right, on a daily basis, and the number of different participants um, are increasing, you know, on a patient-by-patient -patient basis. So I think that what's key is this sort of fit-for-purpose group of people that are trying to solve this niche of prior authorization under this larger umbrella of the industry finally saying, like, enough is enough, and the Fed's putting the levers in place to actually start to automate prior authorization is a really powerful recipe. And again, the pragmatic approach of let's do pilots, let's pick up these APIs and start to use them, let's get people to the table and agree and disagree about where and how the workflow should actually behave so that we can create consistency for that end user. You know, Michelle's sitting in, you know, inside of a practice trying to figure out, you know, what the options are for a patient. I, we're unlocking it step by step by step. There's no big bang. It's literally just, you know, creating transparency, improving and reducing sort of waste and overhead so that we can move towards a world of more and more automated approvals. You know, we're not going to be there tomorrow, but, but again, I think sort of this, we're in it together and we're layering and building on, you know, what DaVinci is doing with what Codex is doing and the vendors sort of freely coming in and, and starting to start to deploy, I think is, um, it's, re it's, it's, a, it's a really powerful way for us to work as an industry. Uh, and it gets to the heart of, you know, how do we actually get the patient the treatment they need sooner rather than later and stop wasting, you know, effort and rekeying and swivel, you know, seat sort of activities that are happening on a day-to-day -day basis. Jocelyn, what's really exciting, though, is also just we're not only using what folks have built for the intended purpose that it was built for. In the REMS use case that Pooja mentioned for this yeah. drug safety monitoring and safety program for high-risk medications, that's really an FDA program needed. It's it's about leveraging the functionality already developed by DaVinci for payers and now flexing it or texting it in the world of safe dispensation of high-risk medications and how to do the safety checks, the decision support needed to make sure it's given safely. So I love how we're being really creative and learning from each other across Accelerator, across HL7, and tying pieces together so that we can get to end goals faster. And in doing so, it's nice in the REMS use case, for instance, where we're so collaborative in this world, like folks are very generous with their expertise and not having these concerns about who's made what and what is needed for so we're leveraging across NCPDP standards where that makes sense, leveraging across FIRE, getting to the pieces of the puzzle faster, especially what I also like is that because there's requirements and mandates for use of DaVinci for payers, this is infrastructure and functionality that will be in place across healthcare industry that we're now leveraging for another purpose. And so it starts to accelerate the development here, the momentum here. And then one thing just to flip back into the codex, Pooja, as you were saying, other use cases I just like to highlight is in our new growth areas in genomics and cardiovascular health, 
we're applying that same like collaborative approach of this together, we are bigger than the sum of our parts because we're taking our lessons learned from cancer, from radiation oncology, now applying it to our genomics and cardiovascular communities and developing genomics data, data exchange and bulk access to genomics information, as well as in a longitudinal hypertension management use case in the cardiovascular health realm. And by doing best practice, we're able to garner stakeholders to the table faster, develop our communities faster, leverage across strengths, across our clinical specialties and domains in order to learn learn from each other and bring those practices back across. And in doing so, we're starting to see greater voices to the table, starting to look at prior authorization, not just in cancer, but now in cardiovascular health or genomics or quality measures, cross-specialty. And it's starting to be these cross-cutting needs that are driving and helping to grow our community with even more momentum and vibrancy. Great. I just have to say, you guys, I love the work you're doing. Both of you really, it's it's amazing. I feel like we could be here all day talking, but we do need to start to close out this podcast episode. And what we always like to do is um, have you guys share, you know, how intangible ways industry can use um, what they've learned in this episode. So what can stakeholders do? Uh, what can our listeners do to engage with uh, the work that Codex is doing, whether it's joining as a member or maybe, uh, you know, picking up the work Codex has done? So let's start with you and, and share some thoughts on that. Yes. So great takeaways for right now is one, the time is now to get engaged in FIRE if health interoperability manage, matters to you. This is a huge point in momentum, not only due to federal mandates for certain requirements in this space, but like Jocelyn said, the actual de facto, de facto or independent adoption that folks are doing just because we are at that point of maturity. So if you need health interoperability in complex disease areas, it doesn't have to be just cancer. It can be in like diabetes dementia, et cetera, it is a great time to get involved. This is a generous community. Get in touch, join our public calls, reach out to us. Membership is great because like we said in some of these calls, we can fast track these timelines. It is amazing to hear five-year projects get done in the span of two with much less resources and much bigger impact than originally anticipated. So it's not just development aspects. It's also about the adoption into vendor communities that is really truly happening right now. So get in touch with us, join us, get our calls. We're happy to facilitate with you. And like you said, I hope it's been clear from this conversation. It is about collaboration. So, you know, we're needed. We always work with other accelerators, working groups, other standards organizations to best promote our members' needs. Right. Michelle, any last word on this? Last word. So I'll offer two things. First, uh, check out the website. Uh, you can find a, a wealth of information, codex.hl7.org. And then I'll, I'll put a call of action, a call to action out there for my clinician colleagues. Dip a toe. The water's fine. Come on in, as they say. We need your perspectives. Um, it is really a, a great opportunity, regardless of the role you're in. If you're in clinical care, you're in life sciences, you're in research. There's great opportunities to engage and really drive the future of health information, as Sue said. So don't be shy. Contact us and come on in. Fantastic. And I echo that. It, 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 make, it makes all the difference to have, you know, clinicians and people actually doing the work uh, participate. So wonderful. Well, I just want to thank uh, my POCP co-host and interop expert, Jocelyn Keegan, and especially thank you to our wonderful guests, Dr. Sue Chen and Michelle Galliato from the HL7 Codex Accelerator for joining us today. Um, thank you to our audience for tuning in and be sure to check out the links 
in the podcast summary to learn more about specific use cases and other items that we talked about in this episode. So just a friendly reminder to new listeners that you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you pick up your podcast, including Healthcare Now Radio and the podcast channel. Um, We also post videos of our podcast episodes, sometimes longer versions on the POCP YouTube channel. And don't forget, health IT is a dish best served hot. Is it a challenge to stay on top of interoperability regulations and the flurry of activity with fire accelerators? Email us at interopoutlook at POCP.com to learn more about our new interoperability outlook subscription monitoring service. 